Well, hey there, Heritage family. I want to welcome all of you across the network to week three of our heritage. As one church in multiple locations with multiple languages and multiple generations, we're taking time to connect who we are to what we do. We're connecting belief and practice. So we're looking at where we've been, where we're at, where we're going, as well as how everything connects us all together. And we're doing that with the help of six things, six values, these values, authentic love, intense spirituality, radical generosity, faithful risk, hopeful partnership, and passionate mission. These six things explain why we do what we do. They shape what we do and don't do as a church. They explain where we've been and where we're going. And they should shape us individually as sons and daughters of the Most High God as well because they are practices of faith. And I realize when you start to read those, some may seem kind of exciting, some may seem daunting, but they're all a bit intriguing. The word combinations. Because I think sometimes we bump into word combinations, we kind of pause and think. They cause us to pause and think. They pique our curiosity a bit. Like, what does that really mean? Where, where is it going to lead us? What, what's the point of that? Sometimes we intersect these word combinations that make us go, hmm. You know, the kind of things like this, those things that just make you go, hmm. And maybe some of those happen in this space here with these values. Let me give you some more simple examples, though. These are some, some word combinations I found on some signs. Let me just show you what I mean. No golfing in the cemetery. Things that make you go, hmm. Like, I don't think I would golf there, but I want to know why. I want to understand behind it. Why is that sign even there? There are things we bump into that can cause us to pause and think. Here's another example of what I'm talking about. Caution, beware of bees, which is all great and fine, but then you read, during high wind. What? Why? It's things that make you go, hmm. I want to understand. It's just the increased velocity of what they can move. Like, why during high wind? There are things that make you go, hmm. Here's another example. You don't even have to have words. This traffic intersection. <laughs> things that make you go, hmm. I don't know what we're supposed to do there. I don't think you're allowed to do anything there. You're stuck. That's it. There are things that can cause us to pause and think, pique our curiosity. I came across a sign in the Quad Cities a while back that did this for me, caused me to pause and think. Right at the top, it just simply said, cat bacon. And then I was really grateful for the explanation down below. Made for, not of, cats. That's really helpful. We get things that make you go, hmm. And then last but not least, probably my favorite, would be this sign that simply said, rabbits, cuddly or nutritious. <laughs> things that make you go, hmm. As awkward as that may feel to you, it's better than cuddly and then nutritious, right? Or is better than and then. And that person is clearly serious about their business, clearly serious. There are word combinations we can bump into that can cause us to pause and think. Cause us to go, hmm, hmm. And I think maybe with some of these six values, you may feel that a bit. Causing you to pause and think. Causing us to pause and think. And to go, hmm. Which is why we're taking time to explain them. To dig into them and unpack them. We're looking at the values one week. And then we're digging into practices in the following week. And this week, we're focusing on radical generosity and faithful risk. Radical generosity and faithful risk. But before we start to get into those two, I want to step back for a moment and make sure we have an understanding of why any of these matter to begin with. Why any of them matter. See, if you follow Jesus, if you love God or follow Jesus, these are core components of doing that. These are things that Jesus modeled. These are things that he actually calls us to. 
They are not simply tasks. They are not just things on a to-do list. They are outpourings. They are reflections of relationship with him. If we follow him, we should look and act like him. And these are things that he did, and therefore these are things we can do. We understand that as a church, and so we seek to do them as a, as a church community, but we don't do them in isolation as just things on a to-do list. We do them in the context of a larger dynamic. Let me just give some context for that larger dynamic. And if you're someone who's been part of Heritage for a while, this will be a good reminder. It's always good to be reminded. But if you're new to Heritage, this will bring some great clarity in understanding why we're different. Let me explain this to you. See, all of us have been given life. We each have a life. And it's not purposeless. It's actually for a purpose. We have been created by God and for God, each one of us. Whether we're walking with him or not, the reality is he created us for him and it's by him. That's wonderful. The problem is that even though we are created for a relationship with him, there's a gap. And that gap is because of sin. God is holy. We're not. He can't hang apart from holiness. So there's a gap. But he loved us enough to send his son Jesus to die on a cross and rise from a tomb so that he could be a bridge over that gap. So that by faith and trust in Jesus, we can have relationship with God. And not only have relationship, we can be saved. It's rescue. It's wonderful. And we can have relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the triune Trinity God. It's wonderful. But we're not just saved to be saved. We're saved and then sent. We're sent to help other people find that same rescue that we have found. It's wonderful. But there's another problem. There's another gap. We call it the second gap. There's a gap between us and other people. And all kinds of things can form that gap. It could be race-based. It could be language-based. It could be generationally-based. It could be socioeconomic gaps that form. It could be just a relational brokenness gap. The gaps between us and other people actually get in the way of positioning people to step across the cross of Christ. So we seek to build bridges over that second gap. We seek to, to reconcile. We seek to go into messy spaces and broken spaces and to meet people where they are so that they can cross this bridge and then make their own choice to cross the bridge of Christ. But that's a hard place to go. It's complicated. It's messy. Jesus talked about some specific ways that we can build bridges in brokenness. It's for those who are sick, those those who are hungry, those who are naked, those who are in prison, those who are foreigners or strangers. Intentionally investing in building bridges in those spaces out of Matthew 25, that's exactly what we're trying to do. And it's hard. But we're not doing it in our own power. As people saved and sent, we're actually empowered by Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowers us not just to be saved and reconciled to God, but to be sent into the world building bridges that make a difference. This is why we do what we do, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And the six values we're looking at all are contained in part of what this looks like and how to, how to live into this. In fact, I just want to explain one more step in this because some of you heard that before, some of you that's new, and it gives great clarity. And you can draw this if you want anywhere on your note guide. But the reality is that there are other people We live in a world created with purpose for us by a God who loves us. And whether we're leaning towards people or whether we're leaning and investing towards God, the reality is we all live in a tension. It's constant. We live in a constant tension between what is and what can be. We sit in this space all the time, whether it's for us in our own lives or with other people. The reality is we, we hold and steward the space between what is and what can be. What can be in, for individuals, what can be in families, what can be in communities. We hold the space between what is and can be. It's a tough space. But 
because of authentic love and intense spirituality, which we've looked at the first two weeks of this conversation, they are foundational to this process. In fact, authentic love and intense spirituality flow from God. They come from Him first. They flow through us to other people into the world. So this is the foundation by which we can lean into the rest of the process. So when we get to radical generosity and faithful risk, now listen, these are the catalysts of movement from what is to what can be. These are the investments that allow a movement from what is to actually what can be in the lives of people. They are the things that make you go, hmm, that cause people to pause and go, hmm. And without these things, what can be is often not possible. There's too many gaps. There's too much brokenness. But when we're willing to be people who manage the space between what is and what can be for the glory of God, God's able to do radical things. He's able to move in powerful ways. This is what he calls us to. This is who he calls us to be as a church. And it requires to live radically, to live faithfully, to be radically generous, and, and to be faithfully taking risks in the name of Jesus. Man, that's a place of trust. A, a, a place of demonstrating faith that, that, that it's seen in obedience. It's seen in trust. It's radical because it's not common. It's faithful because it's consistent and measured under his authority. And we're not talking, when we say radically generous, we're not talking about what we can keep. We're talking about what we can give. We're talking about being faithful and risking. We're not talking about how safe we can be. We're talking about how impactful we can be. And all of it's to him and for him. We're created by him and for him. And we're willing to embrace radical generosity and faithful risk. It positions us to step into that. In fact, it positions us to experience his blessing in big and small ways. See, no matter who you are or what you believe, there is a fundamental principle in this conversation that I want you to understand. If it's your first fill in your note guide, that what we seek first defines us most. Whatever you and I seek first defines us most. Whatever we set as priority on our lives, it actually determines and shapes who we are. What we seek first determines and defines us most. Jesus knew this reality. He knew it when he said something that's captured in Matthew 6, verse 33. He said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What we seek first defines us most. What Jesus is saying is like, look, make Make what God believes is important, important to you. Whatever God thinks is a big deal, make it a big deal in your life. Because what you seek first will define you most. Jesus knew that reality. He calls us to, to seek the things of God first because he knew that would shape us most. And the reality out of that has one more step back to the second gap diagram we looked at a moment ago. Because if we sit in this world as a person who is willing to lean towards relationship with God, to be saved, but we're not willing to be sent by God, then all we're doing is living in piety with limited purpose. We're seeking first one thing without the whole thing. If we're someone who sits in this space and we're willing to lean towards others, like I care about the brokenness in the world, I care about injustice, I'm going to do something about the things that shouldn't be. We're willing to lean this direction, but not back towards God, then all that is is social work and not a holy work. And if we sit in the middle and we say, I don't, I don't want to mess with the messiness of people and I don't have the trust to put any risk towards God, and we find ourselves in the middle, not being selfless, but being selfish, living outside of our God-given purpose. See, as a church, 
We want to be people who invest in a holy work out of a clear purpose, empowered by a holy God. I'm going to tell you, it is not an easy thing. It is not for the faint of heart. It comes with great complexity. It was even the little brother of Jesus. His name was James. He said something that highlights that reality. He said, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives what? Generously. He gives generously to all without fault, without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Listen, we serve a God who is radical in generosity and is faithful in risk. Jesus was radical in generosity and faithful in risk. And you and I can sit in a place where we can be part of his work in this world. Whenever we are at the forefront of the work of God in the world, man, it is hard. It is messy. It's complicated. There is opposition and there is challenge. It's why we looked at in week one how Jesus prayed for you and I in the complexity he knew we would sit in. He knew we would need that proximity to God so we could have intimacy with God. Because out of intimacy with God, we have authentic love and we have intense spirituality and we're positioned to choose to be radically generous and faithfully risking as we hold the space between what is and what can be. He knew that. And even in all that complexity, one of the beautiful realities is we serve a God who who not only was, not only is, but is to come. He looks at time very differently than us. And even as we look at the space between what is and what can be, and we're not sure where things are going to go, we're not sure what people are going to do, what's it going to cost us, and what sacrifice and pain is involved, the reality is we have a God who actually sees tomorrow like we see yesterday. Our God sees what is to come like you and I see what has been, even more clearly. The things that are unknown to you and I are already known to Him. There is no reason to fear in the complexity of holding the space between what is and what can be. In the complexity of people, we can actually sit in a place of peace out of relationship with God. We can hold a trust that leads us a step in obedience. And anyone who follows Jesus, anyone who loves God, is positioned to hold the space between what is and what can be. And movement takes place when we embrace radical generosity and faithful risk within those spaces. It's radical because it's not common. It's faithful because it's measured, consistent, but it's under his authority. It's to him and for him. I want to look at an example of this in Scripture. So if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to grab it and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. It's in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. In the first century, there was a guy who was a missionary and church planter. His name was Paul. And he wrote a number of letters to churches in that season across the region. And some of them were were in Greece. And one of those churches was in a city called Corinth. And we actually have two specific letters he wrote to the church in Corinth. We know them as the books of the Bible, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. And we're going to be looking at this second letter that this guy Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. This is 2nd Corinthians chapter 8, starting at verse 1. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches in the midst of a very severe trial. Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Radical generosity, if you would. Now, just to frame what's going on here, in northern Greece was known as Macedonia. And within northern Greece were cities like Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea. In southern Greece was Achaia. It was known as the region of Achaia. And that's where we find Corinth. 
And what Paul is doing is he's comparing the actions and faithful risks of the Macedonian churches not to indict the Corinthian church, but to invite the Corinthian church to live radically generous and and to faithfully risk just as Jesus had called them. He's really in a way testing them, calling them to live out the way Jesus called them to live because he understood that this radical generosity concept is a way of life. It's a way of life. It's, it's not a simple task. It's not just something that we do. It's that outpouring, that natural expression of having relationship with Jesus himself as one who was radically generous and willing to faithfully risk. It's a way of life. And if, if you follow Jesus, it should be part of how you live and work in the world. Now, you may be very familiar, many people are, with a, a verse that's captured in John 3, verse 16. It's a really good synopsis of how God rescues us out of our sin. Here's what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's a a good summary about that whole first gap dynamic that I explained earlier. But I want to highlight something. Just one word. It says, for God so loved the world that he what? That he what? He gave. God so loved, he gave. It's an expression of love to give. Jesus did it. God does it. He calls us to do it. He so loved, he gave. Here's the heart of the matter. We cannot love without giving. You and I cannot love without giving, without giving of time, without giving of talents and energies, even giving of treasure. We cannot love apart from giving. It's a way of life. Giving Gives, uh, giving is an expression of love. Love gives, love sends, love sacrifices. God is love. He gives, he sends, he sacrifices. He did it not only to rescue us, but he did it as an example for us to demonstrate how we're supposed to live. It's a way of life. We cannot, we cannot love without giving. Now, what that giving includes and involves in time and talent treasure, that can vary widely. I'm not, I'm not prescript, being prescriptive about what that looks like. Talk to God, ask him what he wants you to do, and do what he says. But the reality is, there isn't a relationship that doesn't involve giving that's marked by love. Uh, loving relationships inherently involve giving. You and I cannot love without giving, without sacrificing, without investing. He did it for us, and he calls us to do it for others. Are you tracking that concept? Okay, so let's get back to the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, the second letter. This is verse 3 in chapter 8. For I testify that they, the Macedonian churches in the north, gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. That is radical generosity. It is uncommon. Verse 4, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. So they didn't do it because they had to. They didn't even do it because they they got to. They they did it because they wanted to. They wanted to. They considered it a privilege. Verse 5, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, which is key, and then by the will of God also to us. So that's first gap. That's second gap in some respects. It's faithful risk and radical generosity coming out of their example. But let's jump down to verse 7. Verse 7, but since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the loving and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. Okay, so just for a little bit of context, Paul is not raising money for himself. He's actually raising money for the work of the church in Jerusalem. And that church was very poor. 
He declares it in his first letter to the church in Corinth in chapter 16. He says, look, I'm, I'm raising money for the work of the church in Jerusalem. But the poverty of the church in Jerusalem lines right up against the poverty of the church in Macedonia. Their poverty was just as real. They were not wealthy. In fact, when the Romans moved in and took over the land, they robbed them of their wealth. And one of the interesting details about that area was that was the, that was the former homeland of Alexander the Great. So that space would have had access to lots of riches, but no more. It was gone. It was removed. They had little, yet they still gave much. Now, understand something about radical generosity, and I don't care if we're talking about time, talent, or treasure. Radical generosity is not about quantity. It's not measured in so much in quantity as it's measured in sacrifice. It's measured in, in joy. It's measured in the context of our heart. There's a really good example of this in Luke chapter 21, where a widow comes to the temple, and she demonstrates radical generosity. Jesus calls it that. She actually gives just two coins. She actually gives all she had. These two coins were known as mites. She gave two mites. And in that space, she gave according to her ability and then beyond her ability. Because she didn't keep any for herself, she gave all she had. And Jesus called that radical generosity. And it is the same example and principle of giving displayed by the Macedonian Christians. Radical generosity and faithful risk. They, they are expressions of trust and obedience. And if, if you're someone who loves God and follows Jesus... Followers of Jesus will always forfeit comfort for kingdom. Followers of Jesus forfeit comfort for kingdom. Bottom line, no question. It's part of the deal. Everything about this diagram is about forfeiting for gain. Not just gaining for ourselves, but gaining for the glory of God and, and gain for other people. It is a space of forfeiting comfort for kingdom. When we come to God and then he sends us out as a saved people, that is all a process of forfeiting our comfort for gain. And the reality is in that space, we can be tempted to protect our comfort. We can be te tempted to, to preserve our comfort, to choose our comfort. But hear me, the moment we choose to come to God, we can no longer choose our comfort as priority. The moment we choose him, we choose his priority and we choose his purpose, which puts us in this ongoing process of being willing to forfeit comfort for kingdom gain. Willing to forfeit comfort so that what is can move to what can be in Jesus. That can be a tiresome, uh, kind of wearisome process because there is so much in the world that shouldn't be. There's so much brokenness and need. But again, this whole thing is sourced from him. It's not us. Authentic love and intense spirituality come from him, flow through us, and position us to choose radical generosity and faithful risk. It can be wearisome, but it's resourced and sourced from him, not us. Now, I, one of the things I realize whenever the church gathers is sometimes we can think about the church as a space that is about one people gathering in one location to hear from one guy. But I, I'm going to tell you, that's not the church. At least that's not all the church is. The church is supposed to be a people on mission who live out what we're just talking about. Whenever we reduce and oversimplify the church to one place, one people in one place on one day on a weekend, we've missed the mark. The, the church should never be reduced to one space in one day. It is the people of God on mission. It, it's the people of God living out radical generosity and faithful risk as he calls us. Jesus describes the church as his witnesses. 
It describes them as ambassadors, describes us as ministers of the gospel of reconciliation, as priests, as servants. Those, those words and descriptions do not position people to choose comfort, let alone to just focus on one day, on one weekend. It's a lifestyle, not a program. And one of the worst things we could actually do is to strive for things in this world that aren't really important to God, that don't matter. To succeed in those things it could be one of the worst things we could ever do. In fact, there was a man by the name of Francis Chan who makes a really poignant statement about this. He says, our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. That would be the worst thing we could do with this life that God has given us and the opportunity to be in relationship with him and to build meaningful relationship with others so that his glory can be even more abundant and revealed. The worst thing we could do is succeed at things that don't matter. And and followers of Jesus, therefore, forfeit forfeit comfort for kingdom. As hard as that may be to hear, I love you enough to tell you the truth. It, no matter what, how that, what complexity that creates in your world, we have to figure out, okay, what comfort do I need to forfeit? What do I need to do to be a person who chooses radical generosity and faithful risk? I love you enough to tell you that followers of Jesus forfeit comfort for kingdom regularly, all in accordance to how he calls us. Paul knew that. Paul knew that even as he wrote the next two verses to the church in Corinth. Here's what he said, verse 8. I am not commanding you, that's the Corinthian church in the south, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. That would be the Macedonian churches in the north. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Because of Jesus, we can become rich. Rich in hope. Rich in joy, rich in love, rich in life. Jesus forfeited his own comfort for us to have access to that. Jesus became poor. He emptied himself so that we would have an understanding of God's giving heart. He emptied himself so we would have perspective on material things. He became poor and emptied himself so that he would challenge pride and demonstrate complete surrender. He became poor and emptied himself so that we would have access to the kingdom. We would have access to rescue, to salvation. He did that for us. And because he did that for us, it provides divine provision for us. Because whether it's you or I doing it or him doing it, faithful risk is a precursor to divine provision. Whenever we step in trust, in obedience, whenever we faithfully risk for God and his purpose, there is divine provision that comes behind it. It's the thing that needs to come first, that faithful risk. Paul compared the Corinthian church's uh, faithful risk to the faithful risk of the Macedonian churches. He, he had that comparison in there, and he's pushing on their willingness to forfeit comfort for kingdom. He was positioning them to take a risk for more in this life, knowing that there is a next life. And faithful risk is always the precursor to divine provision. But if you're someone today who's, who's actually standing in the middle of this life and you've never stepped across that first gap, never put your faith in Jesus to experience a relationship with God, that's the challenge and opportunity for you today to take that next step. And the back of the note guide gives you some simple steps to move through that process, but this is where it starts. Once we're there, then we're sent to step over that second gap. And maybe you're in a space where you're unwilling to risk. It seems daunting. It seems risky. <laughs> But he's calling you to be radically generous and faithfully risk so that he can do even more through you than he's already done. Are you willing to take that next step? The the key for us today is to know where we're at and to know where he's calling us in a next step and to take it. 
Because wherever he's calling you next, to step in faith to him or to step in building bridges to others, he will cover. He always cover what he calls us to. He will always do that. You know, Beth and I, very early in our marriage, had to work through trying to understand God's priority for our time and talent and treasure. But it didn't take us long to realize that God actually wants our first fruits. He, he wants to be first. Remember, what we seek first defines us most. He wants to define us most. So he, he, he wants priority. Jesus says seek first. So we began to really organize our time and our talent and our treasure in a way that made him first. We made a commitment a long time ago that we would give at least 10% of everything we take in financially back to God. And then we would sit in a posture ready and willing to give more if he asked for it. <laughs> and he often has. And whether we've given little or much because that's what we've had in a space, the reality is he's always been faithful to honor what we give. Always been faithful to step into that space and to honor what we've given. See, followers of Jesus are willing to forfeit comfort for kingdom. Radical generosity and faithful risk, it's, it's not about so much the quantity as it is about the sacrifice attached to it, the heart behind it. And the Macedonians, they... They wanted to give. They considered it a privilege, so they sacrificed and risked by faith, and as a result, experienced divine provision. So can you and I. In fact, I want to invite you to just sit back for a moment and listen to the story of a friend of mine. His name is Terry, and Terry's actually a member of the Heritage family, but he's someone who was willing to walk through a season of embracing radical generosity and faithful risk for something even greater. So I'd like you to sit back and take a look, lean in, and listen to his story. I was convicted that there was something else I could do to support the guys. For whatever reason, I ended up just taking a peek at the uh, position description for Lakeland, and I kind of reinforced that it really wasn't my main skill set. I hadn't ever taught before, and uh, certainly hadn't worked in a prison before. It was a sermon uh, from Sean when uh, he talked about um, to really serve, you, you need to learn to step outside of your comfort zone. And you, I honestly was 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 kind of being challenged a little bit in terms of serving, and and I listened to him, and I I thought, well, it's probably not anything further outside of my comfort zone than participating in the prison ministry. So um, I actually kind of uh, approached it because I thought if this um, if this works out it it can only be because of god because it's, it's i'm not really a guy known for a lot of empathy personal empathy so uh, to me this is a stretch for me it came to a point where it just kind of kept um needling me i, I um i would keep kind of searching for you know something i could do and it, it dawned on me that god was saying i'm you know, I have this for you, and I, um, I thought, well, it can't hurt to interview if I'm not, you know, if, if it's not right for me, God won't open the door. It certainly didn't make financial sense. It didn't really play to any skills that I had from from my vantage point. And I, the, I think the moment for me was when I was 
I was in prayer and it just kind of, I really kind of felt convicted that, um, you know, I've placed you here to do something and, you know, good intentions aren't getting it done. I've, you know, you're in this exact point in time and place, you know, for a reason, you know, and the issue was about, had a lot to do with trust. If you really, if you really believe in more than just saying it, you know, in prayer and, and talking about it to people, if you really believe that you trust the Lord, then he'll take care of you, and he has. Hours drive is, you know, it's pain, um, but it's filled with prayer. And oftentimes, especially in the early days, I just prayed all the way here. And um, turned out to be more about changing me than it was about changing lives here. And um, and every time I got in the habit of just saying, God, I, I don't know what to do next. This isn't working. This is, um, I'm not able to do this. And every time I got in the habit of just putting it at his feet, um, the solution would come that day. And, and it was really about uh, me learning to trust and molding me into a position where, you know, I could do something uh, that really wasn't of my own doing. It was not because of any skill that I have. It's, you know, it's because of what he did for me. Yeah. Terry ended up taking a full-time job, forfeiting a level of pay, forfeiting a career track and plan that he had been on to pursue and follow God's heart for the men of the Kwani Life Skills Ranchery Center. Out of a love for God, he had a love for people that allowed him through radical generosity and faithful risk to experience greater purpose. And so can we, so can you. Faithful risk and radical generosity, for that matter, are the precursors to divine provision in our lives. If we're willing to embrace a relationship with God, it'll lead to a platform of trust that gives us the ability to step in obedience. One of the easiest things to do in our life is to join culture and still claim to walk with God. To say we love God and love people, but really just be living for ourselves and loving ourselves. But when we embrace the six values that we're talking about, these are things that keep us from being able to be someone who pretends. They keep us within the left and right limits, the covering in some respects of what God's calling us to do and who he's calling us to be in a space. Radical generosity and faithful risk. The Macedonians demonstrated it. Terry demonstrated it. And so can we as a way of life. It's not about what we have in life. It's about how we live our life. It's, it's not about an action. It's, it's about a posture. It isn't necessarily simply about giving. It's about being. It's about being willing to step in bold obedience and trust, to be radical in our generosity and faithful in the risks we take. It's how God invites us into spaces, and when we live that way, incredible things happen. I actually had a glimpse of this last year in the Kiwani Life Skills Rentry Center complex. I was there for a day with Dad, and uh, I brought with me three police leaders, which was unique to have them in this space, but the men had asked for police to come out of my relationship with law enforcement in the cities and to be able to teach their kids not to fear law enforcement. It was, it was a very beautiful, unique space. It went to a whole other level when one of the inmates walked up to one of those police leaders and said, hey, you arrested me. At first it was a bit awkward, 
But then there is this moment out of authentic love and intense spirituality, out of radical generosity and faithful risk that became this bridge building moment, a reconciling moment. It was beautiful. Where the nexus of our investments as a church, relationally with law enforcement and in the prison ministries, just converged into a space where God did something beautiful. Faithful risk and radical generosity are the precursors of God's provision. And wherever you're at in this journey, I have one simple challenge for you, an invitation, one ask of you. I want you to be willing to risk beyond recovery but not beyond God's cover. This is something we've talked about before as a church. This is something I've invited and asked of you before. I want to remind you and call you back to it or for the first time if you've never heard this before. Be willing to risk beyond recovery but not beyond God's cover. Here's what I'm talking about. When we step into the space of loving out of intense spirituality, the way that we're talking about with radical generosity and and faithful risk, where we can really kind of picture a bit of an umbrella that we sit under the covering of God, where we sit under his authority, we sit under and according to his word, we sit in accordance to what he's asked of us, we're faithful to him, we live according to his will. This is the space of his covering. Whatever he calls you to, he will cover This is the safest, best place to be, even if it's beyond your ability, even if it pushes your willingness to risk or pushes your ability to recover. As long as you're under his covering, it's all good. Don't step out from his covering. Don't disobey. Don't choose yourself. Choose his priority and his plan. Don't choose your comfort, but choose his purpose. If you're willing to sit in this space, he will do things you cannot even begin to imagine. It is a space of risking. It is a space of reaching. And it can be tiresome, and it can be wearisome, but it comes from him. It's sourced from him. When we live in a posture, embracing the things we're talking about, God is able to move what is to what can be. Not only for others, but for us and for his glory. So my question and invitation for you today is to understand where he's calling you to risk beyond recovery, but not his cover. Where is he calling you to step next in radical generosity and faithful risk? In time, talent, treasure. Where is he calling you to take that next step? Where is he calling you to build a bridge so someone can find life? Where where is he calling you to give or risk at the next level or in a new level for what can be? Not because you have to, because you want to. These are the things that make people go, hmm. And they're the catalysts of moving from what is to what can be. If we're willing to model what he has already done, He did this for us. He calls us to do it for him and for others. What's that next step of faithful risk and radical generosity that he's calling you to make this week? If you don't know, sit in a space of asking. We're going to have more conversation about this next week and dig into the practices a bit more. In fact, there's some helpful evidences of these things in your note guide. Radical generosity, just three things. We're going to throw them up here real quick so that you can see that we're really running more for than from people. Being in a space where we're not seeking just to get, but to give. We're not really just seeking to gain and have stuff, but we're seeking, it's not about what we can keep, it's what we can actually give in a space. So we're striving to give. And then third in this context is joyfully sacrificing so others can know Jesus. This is why we're doing what we're doing. When it comes to faithful risk, these are some evidences that will maybe help you figure out what your next step is. That choosing kingdom over comfort, that's not always easy, but it is always something God honors and blesses. He will always do that when we choose his kingdom over our comfort. Second is risking beyond recovery, but not beyond his cover. We just talked about that. Be willing to take that step outside your comfort zone, but not outside his protection, not outside of his instruction, where he can show up and demonstrate himself to be God. And finally, third, living for what can be in Jesus. Holding that space between what is and what can be. What's your next step? Where is he calling you? 
We're going to talk more next week. If you don't know, sit in a space this week of asking and just to say, Lord, I'm willing. Because of who you are, I'm, I'm willing. Because of what you've done, I'm willing. Help me, position me, lead me. If you have that posture, he will step and move in ways you can't even begin to imagine. So let's take a moment to pray as we get step back towards worship and song. He may not be calling you to risk as radically as Terry, but I'm going to guarantee he's asking you to step today, radically generous and faithfully risking for his kingdom. Have the courage to do it. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your demonstration of love towards us. Thank you for moving in a space, not leaving us in what is, but actually leaning towards what can be. Thanks for sending Jesus for what could be. I pray for anyone here today that hasn't stepped across that first gap in relationship with you, that maybe now would be that moment they'd do it even now across the network, right where they're at. But for those who have taken that step or even take it now, the next step is to be sent. So Lord, help us to be a people who are willing to forfeit our comfort for kingdom, to risk beyond recovery where you need to show up but not beyond your cover, where we're stepping obediently, we're stepping in a way that positions you to receive the glory and we're, we're positioning ourselves for what can be in others' lives. So continue to speak and lead. We say because of who you are, we're willing. So lead us in these next few moments as we lean into song. May you continue to speak. I pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.